America, bonjour, hi, Canada. That music means it is the Hillsdale Dialogue. Now, many of you have tuned in expecting to hear the penultimate uh, hour in our series on Shakespeare's history plays, and we will indeed do that. We will return to that. But Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, is a Churchill biographer, a friend of Martin Gilbert's, a man who knows the great man himself. And Churchill's been on a lot of minds as President Zelensky of Ukraine uh, puts up a spirited defense of his country in the face of an aggressor, not unlike Hitler in the 30s. And I thought I would ask Dr. Arn this week and next to reflect a little bit on where does appeasement come from? Why did why did it take a hold of Great Britain in the 30s? How did Churchill combat it? And then how did he wage war? Uh, because these are big questions right now. Dr. Arn, good morning. Great to have you back. Good morning. How are you? Good. Uh, I got the interview Martin Gilbert once, and I was astonished by the breadth and depth of his knowledge of Churchill. You worked alongside of that great man for a long time. So would you remind our audience your experience with Churchill? Uh, well, so, yeah, I started studying Churchill in 1974 because I was bitten by a dog and laid up in a house where there was a bunch of Churchill books. And, and uh, uh, yeah, and so eventually... Did I the came... dog die? Yeah, that's right. Okay, okay, just checking. I've always had these tough boxer dogs, and they're mostly really sweetie pies, but the first one was tough, and he'd get in fights, and I'd try to break them up, and the other dog bit me. Uh, yeah, so that was fun. Uh, he's, uh, uh, you know, Churchill was a very great man, and there's nobody like him. And, uh, and so I just got captivated by it, and I got a scholarship, and I went to London. I met Martin Gilbert because Professor Jaffa, my main professor had given him some money so he had to see me <laughs> I found out that he hated to see graduate students and it eventually became my duty to deal with them because everybody wanted to get in the churchill papers and he offered me that and i told him i didn't need it and uh but i told him i would be helpful to him you know i'm going to be here for a while and he said would you like a job <laughs> you know we were, at the, we were at the London School of Economics, in which I was enrolled as a student. I went there two times in the year I was there. And, then I, and, and I said, yes. And he said, when could you start? I said, Monday. And he said, see you Monday. And I chased huh. him down the stairs and said, where do I go? <laughs> and he said, the Map House, Harcourt Hill, Oxford. And I said, Oxford, is that where I should live? And he said, Yes. And I said, I, so I moved over the weekend. And you will be there. And you met your wonderful bride uh, yeah, in that job. Hired my, my, my woman, my greatest of all women. And, uh, yeah, and he was a magnetic man. And he was, and, you know, I used to carry the keys to Churchill's filing cabinets with me to work in the morning. And I hadn't even asked for that, didn't think that I needed it. Now, I, when I heard this week uh, comparisons of the very brave and very courageous President Zelensky of Ukraine to Churchill, I thought, well, that is fine, but that is also missing a lot uh, because Churchill did not come upon the scene as a comedian. He came upon the scene as a, as a warrior, as a reporter, as a veteran of World War I uh, cabinet. And we have a long set of interviews on the Hilltail Dialogues about Churchill's life which are probably five years old. You can search for them on Google or go to HughForHillsdale.com or go to Hillsdale.edu or go to iTunes, Hillsdale Dialogue. You can find the Churchill Dialogues. My question to you, Dr. Arn, is, is when you hear that, does it rile your feathers or are you, are you uplifted that people still think in terms of the great man and the courage he displayed? Yeah, well, that's wonderful, right? And uh, Zelensky, by the way, is a wild card 
and a amazing emergence in a mostly sordid narrative that's been going on for 15 years or something, 20 years. Uh, and that's right. The you know we uh, we're going to find out if Ukraine is a country. We are seeming to find that out. Uh, and who would have predicted it, right? Uh, he he uh, Zelensky is a comic actor with a TV steer- series called Servant of the People, and then darned if he didn't name a political party that and get himself elected president with an Internet campaign with a very large majority. And he just seems to be something else, a different... Because, you know, Ukraine is riven with corruption, and we are complicit in that corruption, some of our politicians, apparently. And so... It's it's amazing. All of, all of this is amazing. What what Putin has done is not amazing, and indeed is, in my opinion, the product of a very long history. I mean, very long, 1760, roughly. Uh, and both the Russians and the Soviets have been consistent about Ukraine and its importance and the fact that it's part of the Soviet Union. Uh, but, and, and, you know, we... we uh, we don't know any history, and so we don't understand the depth of that feeling or the reasons for it very well, whereas Winston Churchill very much did. And, you know, we have, apart from Winston Churchill's massive acts of courage in the 30s and 1940, uh, Churchill dealt with Poland uh, uh, in 19... Well, he dealt with it the whole war, so... Britain came into the war in late August 1939, having given a guarantee of Polish territory integrity. And Churchill thought that was a breathtaking thing to do because he'd been urging them for five years to give such a guarantee to Czechoslovakia, which is nearer to Europe. And we have to remember, by the way, that distance matters in war, and and nearer to and also heavily armed and with a big armaments industry in addition. And Neville Chamberlain let Czechoslovakia go, that was in October of 1938, with a guarantee that uh, Hitler would occupy the borderlands, where there were a lot of German speakers. There's a similar situation in Ukraine today. And then he'd leave it alone. Well, once he had the borderlands, he had the border, and he had the armaments industries. And then in March of 1939, he took the rest of it. And what I want to remind people this week of is that appeasement did not hatch overnight, that Hitler took the Ruhr Valley. That was his first uh, uh, crime against Versailles. Then he uh, did the Anschluss with Austria. Then he took Czechoslovakia. Then he invaded Poland. Then he invaded the West. Putin began by snapping up a, a quarter of Georgia. Then he took a quarter of Ukraine, or actually more like an eighth. And now he's doing this. And so I got in trouble when I said six years ago, he's an evil man, but he's a strong man. Yeah, the opposite of evil is good. He's not good. He's evil. And the opposite of strong is weak. And he's not weak. He is. He's, he's a dictator. He's a tyrant. What's that mean, Dr. I'm when you're dealing with a tyrant? Well, he he uh, you know, you have to there's more than one kind of tyrant and probably uh Stalin is the worst, well, maybe Mao. Maybe Mao. Uh, destructive tyrant in history. More than Hitler, quite a lot more than Hitler. Also shrewder than Hitler. 
but Churchill, and see, remember, you have to remember, uh, politics, it's just like Zelensky, doesn't fit any pattern that I know. Uh, no, I mean, wait. Donald, Donald Trump, too, you know, he didn't. Expand on that. Politics has no pattern. That's absolutely true. That's right. And so you can't, you know, uh, and and the spirit of a tyrant is different. Now, Churchill always believed of Stalin that in the end, you know, so he said the famous thing, there's a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. But I think he's talking about Russia. And he's talking about Russia. He, he, He when he wanted to talk about something solid. In, in Russia, he didn't call it the Soviet Union. He called it Russia. He said, inside an enigma, but I think there is a key, the Russian national interest. And Stalin proved him right about that, because uh, the reason Stalin had a falling out with Trotsky was that Trotsky wanted to export the re- re- revolution as a first priority, and Stalin wanted to export the revolution as a second priority. And, you know, good communist doctrine said, now once the revolution starts, it's going to go everywhere. Stalin, he was a tremendous poker player. Two new books out, really good books, both of them, McMeekin and Wilson. Uh, and and they're, they're about Stalin and the war. And they make the case, and it's a good case. The case begins to be made in, in the recent book by the great Victor Hansen, uh, The Second World Wars, that Russia made most of the running in the Second World War and played brilliantly, played Hitler brilliantly. And, and, and you know, he, he, Russia is the only country that was allied with every other major combatant in the Second World War. When we come back, we're going to pick this up because people have to understand, before we start throwing Churchill around and Zelensky, we got to compare Stalin to Putin and understand the roots of a tyrant's evil and the appeasement that does not work. Don't go anywhere, Dr. Larry the Hillsdale Dialogue continues. It's another non-stop action-packed information blitz. Kind of makes you tingle, doesn't it? Hang on, Hugh Hewitt will be right back. Welcome back, America. As developments rapidly unfold in Ukraine, as the resistance inspires and Zelensky encourages, we are still faced with the overwhelming numerical superiority of Russian arms and therefore a situation developing that we need some historical perspective on. Russia has always been Russia. It's been Russia for 500, 600 years. Dr. Larry Aaron was talking about Stalin before the break. The Hillsdale Dialogue is underway. All things Hillsdale at Hillsdale.edu. So Stalin played the war well. Do you think Putin is playing this board as well as Stalin played his? Because I don't. I think he is, he is miscalculated badly here. Well, you know, let me be a more sober, man. It's too early to tell. Huh. Uh, it, uh, you know, he's, he, if you think of him, and, you know, one thing one should do if he wants to understand a statesman is read what they say. Right, because that starts with that, and yeah, they're liars and cheats and all that. But what they say will always bear some resemblance to what they think. And you know, I, I can't find it this morning. I'm sorry to say, but I will find it and we will post it on your website. There's a wonderful article by uh, a Russian who was Putin's right hand man and left him, a, you know, for 
15 years and left him in disgust. He was a translator, among other things. And here's the account he gives of Putin. Putin believes in Russia. He, he wants to restore Russia to its place. And he doesn't seem to regard Russia as owning Western Europe, right? And, and so, he, you know, you've you, you got to remember, the Russians are a great people. Uh, I'm going to read you Tocqueville on Russia at the end of Volume 1 of Democracy in America. Today there are two great peoples on Earth who, starting from different points, seem to advance toward the same goal. These are the Russians and the Anglo-Americans. All other people seem to have almost received the li- reached the limits drawn by nature and have nothing more to do except maintain themselves. But these two are growing. Russia is, of all the nations of the old world, the one whose population is increasing most rapidly. That's not happening anymore, by the way. Right. The American struggles against obstacles that nature opposes to him. The Russian is grappling with men. The one combats the wilderness and barbarism. The other, civilization, clothed in all its arms. Consequently, the conquest of the Americans are made with the farmer's plow, those of the Russians with the soldier's sword. To reach his goal, the first relies on personal interest, and without directing them, allows the strength and reason of individuals to operate. By the way, that's, of course, obviously a much better thing. The second, in a way, concentrates all the power of society in one man. Their point of departure is different. Their paths are varied. Nonetheless, each of them seems called by a secret design of providence to hold in its hand one day the destinies of the world. That was true about the Soviet Union. Do you think it's still true about Russia? Because I think Tocqueville did not know China. He did not know Xi Jinping. He, uh, but do you think it's still true that Russia is one of the two great powers? I don't. But I'm only saying it's important. And, yes. I'm, and, and also, if you look at the history of Russia, at the beginning of both world wars, everybody underestimated its strength. It's a, and, you know, uh, Russia saved the Western allies by its attacks in Poland so aggressive that it diverted the German army and and uh, weakened its great white right wing swing through France, and helped to save the day there at the beginning. Of course, only disaster and trenches followed, but uh, the Germans might have won that war in a month, as they would eventually do in the Second World War. And that was keeping faith, and it was disastrous for Russia. It eventually cost the Tsar his life. Yeah, his family's but, life too. Yeah, but. But he was, you know, he, he, he did what he said he would do. And they were formidable. I mean, if you want to see that, I mean, they were a basket case, too. You have to read Solzhenitsyn's series, The Red Wheel, which starts with a book called August 1914. And that's an account. It's a fiction, but it's wonderful, of what it was like to fight for Russia in the opening of the First World War. Don't go anywhere, America. We're talking, of course, about Ukraine and the valiant battle of Ukraine to oppose the dictator Putin. And we will come back with more on this appeasement that grips the Biden administration. We have seen it before. If you're old enough, you could actually remember it from the Carter years and its original variation in Britain in 1930s. Dr. Arn will expand on it when we return to the Hillsdale Dialogue. Stay tuned.
non-stop action-packed information blitz the hugh hewitt show is coming right back Back America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. The Hillsdale Dialogue, the last radio hour of the week is underway. Dr. Larry Arn is my guest. We have broken off from our long series with uh, Dean Stephen Smith and Dr. Arn on the history plays of Shakespeare for two weeks this week and next to talk about Ukraine and America's response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the murderous devastation of the cities, the war crimes actually that are underway. And I asked Dr. Arn as a Churchill biographer to join me. And now the, the big question for this week, we'll come to Churchill and wartime leadership next week. Appeasement. Uh, I got to play for you Wendy Sherman the day after the pitiful uh, State of the Union speech given by President Biden appeared on the Hill. And she's the deputy secretary of state. She negotiated, quote, the 1994 agreement with North Korea that led to its nuclearization, the 2015 JCPOA with Iran. She's behind the current collapse and appeasement of Iran in Vienna through Russian agency. And she was in, in the Congress on Wednesday after the State of the Union. She gets asked this by Congressman Brian Mast, a man who left both of his legs in the war against terrorism, congressman from Florida, uh, this question, cut 14. Uh, should Europe and the West divest Western Europe uh, and the Western world divest of Russian energy, in your opinion? You know, I think that there is a lot of rethink and there will be about energy security worldwide. All right. Stop right there. Doctor, and that is appeasement. And I want the audience to understand what appeasement is, how it continues to circulate. It, it seems to me to have infected the Biden administration from top to bottom in the way that it gripped Stanley Baldwin and Neville Chamberlain. So you have to we, we have 10 minutes here. Tee off. You know this stuff, but the audience doesn't. Well, uh, it. Uh, so, uh, I, I think, right, first of all, before you understand appeasement, uh, because appeasement doesn't mean opposing every evil in the world. It can't, right? Because, first of all, you can't get there from here, right? Ukraine is in, so I, you know, I can just tell you how Churchill thought about this. He picked to, to be an enemy to Germany over to be an enemy of the Soviet Union. And he hated the Soviet Union. He was much involved in an effort to try to overturn the Bolshevik Revolution with troops in 1918. But then Stalin is a terrible tyrant, murdering everybody who was associated with him. And Hitler was a terrible tyrant. How did he pick? Hitler was nearer, right? Hitler might possibly do what it soon did do, and that is conquer France and get major air forces on the English Channel and bomb London. And the Soviet Union was far farther away. And so just look at a map. If, if you just put in your search engine map of the British Empire, right at the top will show up a bunch of images of the British Empire, and you will see that it circles the continents. It's on the edges of them, right? And there's very little that's in the interior. And that's because, and see, we're in exactly the position of, of Britain now because 85% of the world's population lives in Europe and Asia and Africa. And that makes us an island off the great population and resource centers. And so we're, we have a strategy. We've always had that strategy, too, like Britain, 
We are a naval power first. You got your family in that Navy, right? Yep. And so the first step is to, there are two steps before you decide whether you're going to, what you're going to do about an evil. And the first is, how urgent a threat is it to us? Because our security is the first claim on the American people. And I can quote you all day long Winston Churchill saying that. The second thing you've got to decide is, what can you, in fact, do? And relative to our rivals, we are growing weaker by the day. By the day. And that means that what can we do, but what we ought to do for sure, is start building weapons. And so what we've done is a kind of, it's sort of like what you would do, in my opinion, uh, except that our, our relations with Ukraine are tainted. Uh, the, what you would do is you would condemn them, but not, you know, it, it's sort of like what Churchill wanted to do about Italy, which is he didn't want to drive Italy into the hands of Germany. And so he didn't, you know, he was very against the Italian conquest of Abyssinia, and he wanted to address it right now. But that didn't mean war. That meant League of Nations and sanctions and stuff. And by, and by the way, I don't think I don't think any sober Republican is urging war with Russia. No. We are keeping out. Of, we are urging the economic collapse of Russia. I don't want to be buying Russian oil. I I, I can't imagine after. Munich, even Chamberlain wanting to buy German war, uh, German exports, did he? Uh, no, no. Okay. Well, you know, until uh, eventually he didn't. But, you know, in, <laughs> he, he was pretty bad, though, wasn't he? <laughs> in October 1938, his plan was to befriend Germany. Right. That, that's what was wrong. Wow. You see, because. What do you think? I mean, first of all, it's very clear what we should think here. Putin is not an example of government by consent, and all such examples are suspect. Plus, Putin has attacked a little country. Uh, I won't say unprovoked, because there are provocations. But he, he, he's, he's the aggressor here, right? We have to be against that. But then the second question is, what do we do? And so we can be absolute about this all day long, except nobody actually says that we should try to send forces to the Ukraine because, among other things, they couldn't get there, right? It's, it's, look, look where it is. Well, they asked for a no-fly zone. We could get there, but it would be World War III. Uh, yeah, Dr. Arn, i got to go back. We, Someone, can we? And, you know... How, what, what is the, you know, I've, I have strong suspicions about our military now because it's been awakened at the top, at least, and it hasn't been supported, and yet we've dragged it through a bunch of wars for 20 years, and it's been fighting and wearing stuff out. And I, I don't know all about that, but I fear it. Now, I want to stop for a second, Dr. Ryan, because you said there have been provocations. I know how the left rolls. They will go and clip that and say you're apologizing for Putin, which I know you are not doing. What do you mean by that? Because I'm unaware of the provocations. Well, it is a provocation, you know, whether it's just or not. I got it. It's a provocation to Russia to say that the Ukraine will be included in NATO. Or, or might be considered for membership in the European Union. Yeah, and, but there have been NATO. proposals for that right. from several European statesmen, right? 
And that's a provocation because, and it's just, you know, I'm, I, the rights and wrongs of the thing are very clear. If the Ukrainian people want to be a people, they have a right to be, right? But can they be? Uh, it, it, it depends, right? Because they're, I mean, compare it to Belgium. Belgium is a peaceful people that negotiated a treaty with Germany in 1910, roughly, that said that Germany would respect its borders and defend its borders against others. And then Germany has, was making plans at the time to run over Belgium to get to France. Let the last man on the right sleeve touch the channel. That's it, see. So that's not, so the point is, uh, our foreign policy should be made consonant with the facts. And facts are real. And, you know, we think they're not. And, and, uh, and so I, w- I would just say the first step is, what do we do? And what we do right now is declare this absolute and then not be willing to use the absolute means because we couldn't. That's right. I see, that's prudence. But I, I am getting to the underlying disease of being unwilling to state and do non-kinetic, to use the modern term, non-lethal engagement, shutting off Russian oil. We won't do that. We haven't done anything first. Everybody else has led here. The United States usually leads. Uh, everybody else, uh, well, we're see, bunkered we're, down. The other thing is, we're shutting off our own oil. <laughs> yes, it's just crazy. It's crazy. I mean, and the, you know, what? so first of all, what I hope for, by the way, is that the Ukrainian people get what they want. Here, I, I want to... Uh, uh, I'm sounding callous, but I'm not. Uh, here's a letter we got from a student, a graduate of Hillsdale. Hold on, hold on, because we're going to go to a break and we'll come back. I want to hear this letter, and I don't want to interrupt you in the middle of it. Don't go anywhere, America. The Hillsdale Dialogue continues right after this. On Ukraine, Zelensky and Churchill right after this. This is the Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Hillsdale Dialogue on Ukraine, part one with Dr. Larry Aaron Churchill, biographer extraordinaire, president of Hillsdale College, all things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. Dr. Aaron has in his possession a letter from a graduate of Hillsdale. Read it to us, please. Yeah, March 1 stated. uh, He's writing to the great chairman of our economics department, Charles Steele. Uh, And, you know, that's his teacher, right? It's that kind of letter. Uh, Hello, sir. All is well here in Lvov. The nation is united like never before, and we are kicking Russian, excuse the language, asses. Here in Lvov, the military is overwhelmed with volunteers, so I couldn't even sign up with, a t- with territorial defense. They are simply turning away people without the military experience. I'm going to the military training with a private military organization. Well, that gives me a chill. He's still going to get ready, right? Yeah. Uh, and see, this is an economics student. He believes in free markets. And you can't, you can't have free markets unless you have the rule of law and freedom, you know? So yep. God bless him. I thought we would be run over in two days but the Russian, uh, by the Russian army, but our military did an amazing job, and I and my fellow Ukrainians are extremely proud. Thank you. If you can please spread the word about the carpet bombings of civilians among people in Washington. That's actually a little bit ill put. He doesn't actually mean that Washington is carpet bombing people in Washington, although to some extent they are. Uh, We really need to kick the Russians out of the airspace. 
This will reduce civilian casualties and demolish their advancement chances. On the ground, they are biting the dust. We showed that the Russian army is extremely weak. NATO has nothing to worry about. All we need is their defensive capabilities in the war, and Russian regime will be over with in no time. So that's, you know, that's wonderful, isn't it? And yeah, but it is, but it's not, it's not prudential. Because Putin has low-yield tactical nuclear weapons, which I don't think the man will hesitate to use if he starts to lose. Uh, and, and so we have to be prudential about this, don't we? Uh, yeah, that, that's really what I'm saying. I, I'm, you know, just remember, news is not news anymore. It's a narrative. And it's all running one way. And I'm hoping we can have a more serious show than that and think about things, right? Because, first of all, remember, we have the luxury of not being in charge. <laughs> so, you betcha. And so we get to think. And, and that's the service we can do the country. And what I'm saying is there's no long-term lasting solution that does not recognize the importance of Russia. And, I agree with that. But there and, is a... Is there a long-term, I'll pose this as a question since I don't know the answer. Is there an obligation on free people not to fund aggressions against would-be free people? Because we are funding Putin by buying his oil. Well, we're getting the oil, right? So it's, it's, that's not a gift, that's a transaction. And one thing you have to do in the face of necessity is what necessity requires. But... That's right. What you want to be is strong so you're not presented with contradictions like that. And, and you know, Europe is very much presented that uh, contradiction by necessity, and we are presented with it by choice. What, what do you make in our last two minutes this week, and we'll come, of the transformation of Germany in two weeks? Angela Merkel is revealed as a weak and collusive agent of the East now. Uh, in having tethered Germany's future to Russian energy. And Schultz, a man of the left, has repudiated that, has uh, put 100 billion euros, uh, basically eight years of underfunding of defense, back into defense in one year. What do you make of that transformation overcoming the German government so quickly? I think that's a commentary on the disappearance of the United States as the world's leading power. Wow. Which has been a guarantor of the peace in Europe since the Second World War. And, you know, in 1945, the Soviet Union had the power to destroy Western Europe in six weeks, according to Churchill and according to British internal documents, right? There was nothing to stop them. And that was still true in 1954, when Churchill came back into power. So why didn't they? American nuclear guarantee, right? And then the Marshall Plan, those are all grand and wonderful things. Berlin Airlift, yep. But, but back then, you know, we, we're not, we, we are exhausting ourselves with foolishness, right? I mean, close the economy for months at a time, think we can do that and start it right back up. It's been trillions on that, right? And... You know, in my little opinion, no sign that it did much good. Uh, and pay people not to work. 
Yeah, that's it. You can't, you know, people people got to work during their living. And uh and so <clears throat> it's we are weakening ourselves. And that you know the 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 energy policy thing is just a great example, right? We, okay, we, part we, 1 is clue conclude. I want people to remember this from part 1. First thing we do build more weapons. All right, because that's actually what Great Britain finally did in the middle of the 30s was to build more weapons. And this is not going to go away, no matter what happens in Ukraine in the next week when Dr. Arn will come back. The, the facts on the ground are not going to change vis-a-vis China and Russia. We need to build more weapons. Part two next week with Dr. Larry Arn and Churchill, Zelensky in Ukraine. Stay tuned. Absolutely, positively need the truth. This is where you turn. This is the Hugh Hewitt Show.